I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. And this is Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. We are a new show breaking down the anime news, views, and shows you care about each and every week. I can't think of a better studio to bring something like this to life. Yeah, I agree. We're covering all the classics. If I don't know a lot about Godzilla, which I do, but I'm trying to pretend (laughs) that I don't right now. Hold it in. And our current faves. Luffy must have his due. (laughs) Tune in every week for the latest anime updates and possibly a few debates. I remember, what was that? (laughs) Say what you're going to say and I'll circle back. You can listen to Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect every Friday wherever you get your podcasts. And watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. Bereavement and grief are major life events that happen to us all eventually. But there aren't many how-to guides to help you navigate your way through the death of a loved one. And it isn't always an easy subject to talk about. Inspired by her own experiences, the English actor and comedian Carrie Ad Lloyd started collecting life stories about grief and loss. You're listening to Griefcast with me, Carrie Ad Lloyd. How do we grieve for someone? How does it change and evolve as we get older? My dad died when I was 15 and it took me many, many years to be able to express what I had gone through. So I decided to create Griefcast, a chance to talk, share and laugh about the weirdness of grief and death. But with comedians, so it's not that depressing, I promise. Each time I talk to a different comedian about their own personal experience of grief, as we remember someone that they have lost along the way. Whether it was a long time ago or you've just joined the club, this is a chance to talk about the peculiar human process of death. Welcome to Griefcast. Welcome to Series 2 of Griefcast. Thank you so much for listening. I'm sorry there was such a gap between Series 1 and Series 2, but um, I have a baby and then very recently also a dog has appeared in our life. Um, not just appeared, we you know we know why she's there. But yeah, things have been quite hectic. Um, we have some amazing guests coming up for this series, so please do subscribe to the podcast, uh, rate us on iTunes, follow us on Twitter at The Griefcast or Instagram, The Griefcast. Tell your friends. It really does help to spread the word for the podcast and the more people who listen to it means I can carry on making them. So if you do enjoy them, please do do all those things. It really does help. This week's guest is the amazing Susan Wakoma. She's an actress and comedian. She's been in Crashing, Crazy Head on Netflix. She's also a regular co-host of the brilliant podcast, The Guilty Feminist. If you haven't listened to that, I definitely recommend it. Uh, she's currently starring in Labour of Love in the West End with Tamsin Grieg and Martin Freeman. And she very kindly came in to talk to us about her dad, Charles. Welcome to Griefcast. I'm here today with... Ac- now, I pause... <laughs> Do you prefer actress or actor? Or do you not oh, care? I don't care. Actress, they say actress. Actress, okay. I quite like actress. I, like I worked actress. really hard to become an actress and everyone's like, no. And I'm like, <laughs> no, actually, now I have that. Oh, actually, I want that. Yeah. Welcome to Griefcast. I'm here with actress Susan Wacoma. Hello. Hi, yeah, you're right. Um, I am exhausted. Because <laughs> my baby don't sleep. 
Girl, don't, don't sleep. sleep. No sleep. <laughs> She's so good in the day. Mm. Just nighttime screaming. So who are we remembering today, Susan? We are remembering my dad. Your dad. What's your dad's name? Charles. Charles. I always say it wrong, which is bad because... <laughs> He was my dad. <laughs> Charles. It's because, so we all, like, so my parents are Nigerian, and you're normally given sort of a very English name. Right. Mine's Susan, which is just the shittest name ever. It's rubbish. It's, just, it's very it's rubbish, English, man. isn't it? It's yeah. so awful. Susan. Um, so his is Charles, but we don't, obviously I'll call him dad, but his Nigerian name was Ombo. So all his mates oh. and like my mum would call him Ombo. So, but Charles is his first name. So, so you have two, every time I say it, it's two name options. Yeah. So my Nigerian name is Indiaba, oh, which means lovely. from India, which I'm not. Which is, <laughs> is, so Ombo is Umbo. his name. Yeah, yeah. Or Charlie, um, some of them called him. And when did your dad die? He passed away in 2012. Okay, so you've yeah. just had five, your five-year anniversary. Yeah, yeah. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. That's quite a chunk, isn't it, the whole five-year? Yeah. yeah. It's sort of flown by. Like yeah. I, I sort of... It, it's weird every time it, it comes to the day. I've normally been... The thing is, I've always been working. And uh, this was the first year where that I knew that day was definitely just going to be me in my head wow so I didn't really know how I'd feel in five years is it is a chunk so I try not to go towards it with any expectation but it's a weird time because actually my old sister Emmy her birthday is the day after oh man so it's always it's it's kind of like you can't allow yourself to fall too down a hole if there is a hole some days I've been like this yeah. was nice to remember him but um, because you know you saw, you've got to sort of be there for her for the birthday yeah that must be yeah. hard for her really straight like, I can't I can't get my head around that because then every time you're like oh it's my birthday great but I've, I've got to do with it. that first yeah I've got to yeah. do with that day first yeah, yeah I think because we have a lot of people on who are sort of in the two three year mark yeah which I think is like I guess a bit like kids. If you're two, three, they're still you're still sort of in that baby phase. But I yeah. think five years is like, I guess. Why do I say it's a chunk? It is that like it's like half a decade. Isn't it? Yeah. It's like, yeah. Okay. This is very. Your life is very established without them. At yeah. Five years. I yeah. think. Yeah. You you figured out, and also because it, it happened when I was twenty four, and now I'm twenty nine. Like there is just so much. Yeah. So much that's happened, like personally and professionally, that you do you. I've got my life sort of set now that he has no, like, yeah, <laughs> has no, got nothing to do no with No reference him. for, yeah. So it's kind of, yeah, it is, it is a chunk, yeah, like, reference. What did he die of? He had a stroke. He had uh, high blood pressure, which is very common mm. amongst Afro-Caribbean people, mm. Asian people. And so he just didn't manage it very well. He worked a lot I think by the end, he was working two jobs. Wow. <laughs> like a nutter. He'd work at the home office Monday to Friday. And then uh, Friday night when he finished at six, he'd come back home, have a shower, have some food, then go to the Royal Festival Hall where he worked as a security guard overnight. Whoa. He'd do that until about four o'clock Saturday, so overnight. And then he'd come back and sleep on Sunday, back on Monday. <gasps> so he had his stroke, actually, when uh, he finished in between... Uh, the two jobs on that Friday. Oh That's my when it happened. God. Yeah. That, I mean, I have baby Nutter. and I don't like that schedule. Like, I feel like <laughs> I'm tired and that's made me go, oh, no. Oh, no, no, no. Was he, um, so was he a workaholic, do you think? Or was it, where was that coming from? Or just, totally. just liked working? I think it was, I know, it was, he came from Nigeria with my mum. 
your identity is work. Right. Like my parents wanted everyone to, if they were to ever describe them as something, it was hard workers. Mm. You wanted to pay his way. Really didn't believe in like benefits or anything like that. He was like, you know, I'm an immigrant and I've come here to work. I've come here to work and to contribute, which, you know, I don't, you know, I believe that a welfare system is really, really important and integral. Yeah. But I think it was, you know, wanting people to sort of know that he wasn't here to scrounge yeah. because of that and also us being definitely poor (laughs) then his identity becomes that and then we all start flying the nest and whatever and and he doesn't know anything else like retirement we had to beg my mum to eventually retire beg her because it just doesn't exist in his mind and that's what it is it's just it's what he did you just work like two jobs was is nothing and how has that affected you and do you feel like you try and keep work very separate in a way or you make sure Mm. you don't feel bad when you're having downtime I think what it did was it made me step back and really think about whether I enjoy what I do Mm. and I was like yeah I do yeah thank god because if I at that time if I turned around and said oh no I don't I would have quit yeah because I just thought there's no point going through what actors do performers do comedians do if you hate it and the thing that I, I mean, we never ever spoke about it, but I'm pretty sure that he was not doing what he wanted to do mm. because he had to put food on the table for us. And so I was like, right, you know, work is hard. So therefore, do I love what I do? Yes. And so I approached work with lots more, so actually, love and joy. I do feel like it was the beginning of establishing what my um, boundaries were when wow. it came to work because it scared the shit out of me Yeah, um, to see him such a busybody. My entire life he was a busy, busy little yeah. body of a man to not being able to speak. It was terrifying and I thought, oh, okay. Yeah. Right. yeah. I did an interview with someone about my experience of grief and they were saying oh you know when your dad was ill was it you know like they become so you know so so small and like not Mm. you know not this father anymore I was like no I just never seen him still yeah and that's what really got me was like he was still and wasn't like you said running doing this going here we're going this with this and that's more it was like oh he's not he's just in one room yeah that's unusual yeah he had his stroke and then yeah so he had his stroke on the Friday after work Friday after work and it was God, there's so many different. It's such a. Re- it's really, really mapped out, and it kind of feels like I'm spinning a yarn. But as I was in it, I was like, "This feels structured," and I think I know what's going to happen. Wow! So when he, a couple of, about a month before he had the stroke, I found out that I got a job of my first film, and it was set in Nigeria, which is where my parents are from. I'd never been to Nigeria because my parents were convinced that I'm so stupid that um, I'll go to Nigeria and like get myself killed. Like, somebody will <laughs> arrive in the van and be like, get in this van, and I'll be like, sure. So, <laughs> are they like, you didn't grow up where we grew up? You're not yeah, street smart. Exactly. You don't get it. And I remember when I was in like, my second year at RADA, I was like, I've saved up money, I'm going to go to Nigeria and like find out who I am. Mm-hmm. And my mum begged me, she went, please don't go. You've got a very round face and a round face equals naivety and stupidity and you're not going to make it. The idea that you come off the plane and they're like, whoa, whoa, that is a round face. Get her Boys, in the van. Get your van. Bring the van round. We've got a round face. That's amazing. Susan Wacoma on Griefcast and the host and creator of the show, Carrie Ad Lloyd, told me a little bit more about how she got the idea to start the podcast up. 
my dad died when I was 15. And so I've spent a long time having in-depth conversations with people about grief and death because um, we talk on the show about being part of a club. And, you know, I feel like I just I joined the death club quite early. So it's something I've got used to and I'm comfortable with. And then um, in 2016, I literally was just thinking, you know, like lots of my friends had started podcasts and I just thought, wow, you know, every time I go to a party or a gig, I end up having this intense conversation about grief and death and mortality. And no one hears those conversations. And I just thought, oh, I wonder if anyone would like to hear them. Maybe that'd be interesting. That was it. And then um, I was very pregnant and um, I had recorded four of these conversations and my daughter was uh, two weeks late. And so I thought, oh, well, you know, I could sit here and do nothing or I could just get these podcasts out there. Why don't I do that? I'll just get them out and see what happens. And um, I really didn't think anyone would listen, to be honest. I thought, I'll just do them. No one really listen. And then, you know, when she's a bit bigger, I can come back and have a think about this idea. But I put these first four episodes out there and it went pretty crazy from day one, to be honest. People just started instantly emailing me and wanting to know if there was more coming and this instant reaction of like, oh, this is how I feel when no one talks about it. And I suppose because... I've been having that conversation for so long, I figured everyone was. And I didn't really realise some people weren't talking about it and wanted to. So that's where it began. And the the decision to go with a podcast, are you really tech savvy? Was that something you felt really comfortable <laughs> doing? Or was did you have to get a no. bit of help and assistance? Oh, my goodness. Not <laughs> at all. I am very much creative. I really struggle with anything technical, but um, there's an amazing there's an amazing podcaster called Helen Zaltzman, who does the Allusionist podcast, and yeah, she set up a Facebook group called the Podcast Support Group. So lots of my friends were doing podcasts, and they said, "Oh, just join this group, and then if you've got a question, you can just ask them." So I did. I just asked questions and then people would, you know, really tech people would be like, oh, you need audacity, you need this. And I taught myself how to edit. And it involved a lot of swearing and a lot of YouTubing tutorial videos and not understanding them. And so at the beginning, I did everything myself and it was a very slow process. And so I couldn't really get them out weekly. I just had a baby. It was like, it was quite hard. And then I think about halfway through, um, my editor, Kate Holland, came on board. So I'd worked on another show with her. And when I told her, I said to her, it takes me six hours to do an episode. And she laughed and said, I could do that in two. All right. <laughs> I thought, I was like, no, you couldn't. And she did. So I thought, oh, okay. So yeah, now she helps me with the editing and I do everything else. But I wouldn't be able to do it weekly if it wasn't for Kate. I was going to ask you about editing because I think one of the charms of the of the show is that the conversation seems like a conversation, like it's really organic. You're not zeroing in on on one topic yeah. and editing everything extraneous out from around it. Welcome to Griefcast. I'm here today with actor, writer, comedian Robert Webb. Hello. Hi, Hi Rob. Hi. We're, we're starting again because something went wrong. I know. So I, I feel like my prepared question. <laughs> I didn't have a prepared question. We were just talking about voiceovers. I've already had one of my famous tantrums. So yeah, I know. It was a bit they're much. Just, they're just putting the, all the furniture back together now. <laughs> What's ever pushed you to a tantrum? You uh, like... I don't... Th- Ooh, or do you not do tantrum? Then. Do you do I sort really, of internal? I honestly don't think I've done a proper one. I uh, know it. I, I, I do sulk. I am capable oh, of going into a mope. Right. Yeah. Is it so. very? I think so because I don't do. I'm more of a loud. Yeah. I think that's probably, that's probably healthier. But sulking people, I feel like they think they're not saying anything, but it's so loud. Oh, exactly. Yeah. And so they, they think, well, this is much better than throwing furniture out. Yeah, uh, and, and in a way, it is. It kind uh, of is, but it's unbelievably again, yeah, loud. How yeah, quiet a sulk is. I have is. to really keep an eye on my own nerve. 
my own sulks because they yes they can be quite they can be quite powerful do you do a lot of editing afterwards or is it left as is there's not a lot i mean when i was editing i used to do more because I would edit myself out because I would think, oh, I'm boring. And then when Kate came on board, she was like, I think your story that you said was interesting as well. Let's keep that in. So that definitely changed because I think I was a lot more controlling and worried about what, you know, what was interesting. So it definitely helped having an outside view. We don't really edit an awful lot. I mean, to be honest, the main thing we take out is often if sometimes people after the interview, they'll say, oh, I've just realised I can't really say that about my aunt, brother, cousin, mum, dad, you know. So we kind of, that's the only things we tend to nip out if someone's mentioned something that's still contentious within the family um, yeah. or names sometimes. But, yeah, we try not to, you know, these are the conversations I've been having for years. So I wanted to keep that, yeah, that organic sense of it doesn't have to always be, okay, what happened and where were you when they died? Like some people, that's not interesting to them. What's interesting to them is how they coped or some people what's interesting to them is the person that they lost. So I try and zero in on what they want to talk about, really. And how do people respond? Like what's the what's the feedback? Like what are people saying? Is it is it that sense that, God, I'm so pleased that you're talking about this because I've felt like this for such a long time? Or Yeah, I mean, it, it, it really varies from you know, people whose, you know, emails that stick out to me of a woman who had fallen out with her mother because the stepfather had died. And, and the woman said, I never really understood what she was going through. And then I listened to your show and we've got back in contact because I realized perhaps she was grieving. And that's why we fell out over lots of things to people saying, you know, I lost parents when they were babies and they they've never told their wife what happened and now they've listened to the show and they've realized perhaps they should talk to someone or people saying you know who talk about it already but are just so relieved to hear other people talking about it, it the main sense I get is a relief a relief that there's a space to talk about this and a relief that it's done you know, it, it's not done to solve anything or fix anything. It's just a space to talk about death with, without any judgment or worrying you're going to upset people. So, you know, the stories always vary, but there's a definite sense of community that is needed. And, and does talking to all these people about grief and loss and death, do you think that's given you a different perspective on on your own experience? Yeah, it yeah, 100% has. I never set out for that to happen, ever. But um, it's one of the consequences that I have now spent weeks and weeks talking about my dad and my experience of grief and perhaps realising that I thought I was talking about it, but perhaps I wasn't talking about it, you know, in quite the way I do in, on the show, because I also had those feelings of not wanting to be boring and not wanting to upset people. And it's also made me extremely present to death and the more you talk about it the more you realize everybody's experienced it in some way there's very few people that haven't been touched by it or know someone that's been touched by it and it starts to feel less isolating and less weird I think I always felt like oh I'm such a strange person my dad died when I was young how unusual you meet all these people and you're like, oh, I'm not unusual at all. I'm completely normal. This is just one of those things that happens. And I think that's really important to normalise it. I suppose when I think of my own experiences and, you know, you hear someone's lost someone that's dear to them, you don't quite know what to say or what to do and you, you want to do mm. the right thing. But there's that kind of sense, oh, God. And maybe in, in some cases it's just easier not to try, 
Yeah, and, and yeah, I think we suffer from wanting to fix as a society. If anything's broken, you know, from you know, in this country, from the NHS to, you know, social mobility to the trains, people want to fix it. Like, how can we fix it? What can the government do? What can people do? How can you get involved? And death is something you can't fix. And I think that's really hard for humans to hear and bear. And I think we could all do with stopping trying to fix people's pain and just just listen like if you don't know what to say to someone of course you don't what can you say when someone's died there isn't there isn't anything to say there aren't the the correct words but you can be there you can listen you can tidy up their house you can bring them some food you can help them sort out a room full of a dead person's stuff like there's very practical things you can do but you cannot fix their sadness and everyone approaches it from this attitude of well how can I make them happy and if you just approached it with like, well, how can I let them bear this pain? It would be a lot easier, I think. But it, you shouldn't feel worried about, I don't know what to say, I think is important. Like there isn't a correct thing to say. So don't worry. <laughs> there literally isn't anything that you could say that's going to make it better. The worst thing has happened. So don't worry about it. The creator and host of Griefcast, Cariad Lloyd. And the show's just won Podcast of the Year and a few other gongs at the British Podcast Awards. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.